907 if you're using a book. Well, I want to briefly take exception with one thing that uh, Joe Terrell said when he was making the announcements. He said there, because it was spring break, there would be no Wednesday evening meal. There will be a Wednesday evening meal. Now, it may not be up here. And it may not be provided, but I know at least for me, there will be a Wednesday evening meal. So let's just get that straight right away. We have uh, lots of folks that we're worried about that are sick in the hospital. Uh, Lots of lost loved ones over this past week. And we certainly want to keep all those folks uh, in our prayers. It is spring break. Uh, We want to, for most of us. Well, not for me, but for most of the kids. But, you know, and people traveling, we want to keep them in our prayers as well. Uh, I know that uh, heard that perhaps there were some fatalities down on Lake of the Pines from the storm last night. And so we certainly want to be with those families and and uh, just ask that God would, would bless them. See a lot of visitors uh, with us today. Uh, see Stephen from uh, Arizona. He's with us, Stephen Walker. Uh, but you don't get the farthest, you don't get the farthest visitor award. Uh, we got Dean over here. Dean from up in, uh, Washington, but Dean, you lose too. You don't get the farthest visitor award. Over here, we have, uh, Paulo and Lillian from Brazil. So, you know, beat that. Uh, we got acquainted with uh, Lillian on our uh, on our very first trip down to Brazil. She's the same age as Michelle, so she was 13 uh, the first time we uh, we went to Brazil. And then her and her family moved off. Her dad went to preaching school, and I believe Campo Grande is that where they went. To, he went to preaching school. We helped support him a little bit uh, while he was there. Uh, and then Lillian is married, and her and her husband are just kind of visiting the uh, the states and. And uh, we are glad that they went to Dallas and they went to Austin and they went to San Antonio and they went to San Marcos and Dangerfield. Yeah. They said, Mark took them on a tour. And I said, well, after that 10 minutes was over, what'd you do? But we are glad to have them. We have been in the book of First Peter for quite some time. Uh, we've been looking at First Peter as Peter's travel guide to foreigners in this world. We've used words like aliens, uh, strangers, pilgrims. Peter is beginning to wind down. We're in chapter 5 now. Peter is beginning to wind down. That doesn't mean that we're winding down. Just thought I'd let you know that. We uh, have uh, several more weeks uh, that we will be uh, in First Peter. Uh, and two weeks ago, we looked at the beginning of chapter 5 where Peter gives instructions to the elders of the church and tells them how they are to, to act and how they are to govern, if you want to use the word lead, would probably be a better word, the congregation. And so this week we're going to look at just one verse, and that is chapter 5 and verse 5 of First Peter, where Peter writes, Young men... In the same way, be submissive to those who are older. All of you, clothe yourselves with humility towards one another. Because God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. And it got me to thinking after 
the discussion a couple weeks ago on the elders. And then if you use that term in a broader sense, just meeting the older members of the church. And then here Peter gives some uh, uh, insight as to, 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 the, to the younger members, or at least the young men of the congregation. And it got me to thinking about the beauty of having a multi-generational church family. You know, I don't know, I've been, when, when uh, I was uh, going to Harding, and some of you have come out of certain situations like this, where I, went, I was preaching at this little congregation in, in Arkansas, you know, and bless their heart, it was just a few older people. And that's pretty much all that was part of that congregation. Uh, there were a couple children, but you could almost tell they were almost out of place, you know, because there just weren't hardly any other children. And, and so it got me to thinking as we look around this morning, what a blessing it is to have a multi-generational church family. There's a lot that has been made about the generational differences, you know, you hear on the news and all this stuff, there's all these studies about this generation or that generation and the differences between them. And my guess is that that has always been the case. My guess is, as the children of Israel were wandering in the wilderness, Moses and all of them were talking about them young whippersnappers. And how they didn't respect the old people anymore and the old ways and this and that. And I just guess that that has always been the case. But there, I was, I got to thinking about this, and so I looked it up on the internet. And we have become, and I don't know when this became a trend, but we've become fond of naming and labeling the different generations. Now, I remember long ago, always hearing about the baby boomers, you know, the baby boomers. And I really think that that was probably the first generation to be classified or named. A little later on, though, people came along and named the previous generation and defined them as the greatest generation. So I'm going to read some of these to you and uh, see if, you know, where you fit in. Okay, if you were born in 1890 (laughs) to 1915... It says here you are the lost generation. Well, that's probably more ways than one, if you know what I mean. Uh, I don't think we have any. Anybody here 103 or older? Yeah, that generation is lost. Okay. Then they have what they called, I'd never even heard of this, the interbellum generation from 1901 to 1913. Obviously, some of these overlap. Now, how can that be? I just now noticed that. That interbellum generation is in the middle of that lost generation. No wonder they're so lost. They don't know who they are. I just now realized that. Then we have what has been dubbed the greatest generation. 1910 to 1924. And maybe I would guess even later than that, by my account at least. And a lot of that generation even is, uh, has gone away. 1925 to 1945. If you were born in 1925 to 1945, raise your hand. Whoa! You know what you're called? According to this, the silent generation. 
I know some of you. That ain't right. That is not right. I don't know why they're called the silent generation. Then you have the baby boomers from 1946 to 1964. Then you have what they call Generation X, which is 1965 to 1979. Then you have what you call the Xennials. Who knew? From 75 to 85. Then you have Generation Y or the Millennials. That's what we hear a lot about now, which is 1980 to 1994. And then you have Generation Z. I didn't know that. Which is 1995 to 2012. And then you have the general, I guess, I guess we got to Generation Z. So we got to start back over with the alphabet. So we got Generation Alpha, which is 2013 to 2025. So most of you ain't even been born yet. (laughs) According to the way, you know, I look at that. And I only say that to say this because I have heard a lot, especially talking about the millennials. I didn't even know for sure what that meant. I just knew that was people younger than me. And what I, what I find a little disturbing is in a lot of the, the, the studies and things, what they try to do is make overwhelming characterizations for an entire generation. All millennials are, or in my case, all baby boomers are. Well, you realize there's a 20 year gap in baby boomers from 46 to, to 65? That's a, there's a big difference between that person born in 65 and the person born in 46. And you cannot just make a, a, an overwhelming statement like, like we seem to want to do. And so I was thinking about that. And many of us have seen ourselves pass through these phases within the church. If you grew up in the church, you grew up and you've seen yourself like myself pass from, from childhood in the church to youth and teen in the church, to young adult in the church, to, to young family, to, to a little older adult, and then a little older, older adult, where, you know, some of you are. Peter and Paul talk, Peter here and Paul, especially in Timothy and Titus, talk about the responsibilities that each generation has to the other generation. Whether it's the older's responsibility to the younger or the younger's responsibility to the older. And so this morning I, ha- I wanted to give some thought to dealing with multi-generations within the church. You know, there's always opportunities for division, right? You know, and, and we often classify, you know, we often see that. Well, you've got, you've got socioeconomic differences. You've got those with money, those that don't have any money. Uh, you got, uh, you know, heritage background differences. You might have ethnic background differences. You may have gender, we do, gender background differences. But we don't always or often talk about the generation or age difference that we have within the church. But you can't look around without realizing that it's there. And so I had some thoughts this morning based on that. The first thought I had is that generations are a blessing. The different generations within a congregation, within a church family, are a blessing. 
Somebody said to me a couple weeks ago that they had eight babies in cradle roll class. Isn't that awesome? Maybe not if you're the cradle roll teacher. But, but isn't that great? That means every, every one of them little desks where your feet hang out the bottom of them were filled and probably somebody was being held on top of that. But that's wonderful that as a church family, we, we have that, that, that potential for growth and that potential for a bright future. That is awesome. Paul talks about the church being a body. We often talk about in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and in Romans chapter 12, where Paul talks about the church being a body. That although it's one body, that there's different parts and each part has its own purpose. And we understand that. And we often talk about that in terms of our talents, in terms of our gifts, in terms of our abilities. But I think that also applies to in terms of our, our generations, that there is a, a, a essentially a, a different blessing, a different gift to being at different stages in our lives and having all those different stages within the same church family. That we can help one another. We can depend on one another. Age is a gift and each age has its advantage. Older folks. Older folks have a vast treasure chest of life experience. You know, when we're younger, we think that that the older people, you know, they just don't know anything. They don't know how it is now. You know, they don't know what we've been through. I'll put myself in the other one, you know, in a minute. But anyway, you know, they, they certainly wouldn't understand what we're going through. Things were so different back then. The older I get, the more I understand That the particulars may be a little different. But life experience is life experience. Isn't that kind of what Solomon said essentially. As he wrote the book of Ecclesiastes. There's nothing new under the sun. Somebody's been through it before. And as younger people. Those of you who consider yourself to be younger people. There is an opportunity to learn with those who are older. Opportunity to share from younger, from older to younger. Opportunity for us as older people to, to share with them as they go through similar experiences. I'll tell you what I had a difficult time doing as I was, you know, coming up with this sermon. I kept, it was very difficult for me to decide what pronoun to use and when. Because when I was talking about the older people, I was talking about y'all. And then when I started talking about the younger people, I realized, I'm talking about y'all. <laughs> so where am I? You know, I think, well, you know, I'm middle-aged. And I'm thinking, I'm 56 years old. <laughs> middle age is a joke. If you add that up, that's 112. I don't think so. You know what I mean? I'm beyond middle age. I kind of still think of myself as young and compared to some of y'all. And you're all out there, well, you are young, you know, compared. But then... Yeah, I know what you're thinking, see? So, you know, it's all relative. But I did have a very humbling and unique experience this week. I went to go talk to a financial advisor because I had $12 I wanted to invest. (laughs) And I wanted to see how quickly she could turn it into a million. Uh, And 112, (laughs) basically is what she said. Uh, 
But I noticed for the first time ever in my life, I asked questions like, can you explain to me how Social Security works? <laughs> you know, how does that work? Exactly when is Medicare age? You know, and I remember when I was younger and I used to think, you know, is all, do all old people do is sit around and talk about their doctor visits and medication? Is that all old people do? And now I look at most of my conversations and they're about medical visits and medication. So I don't know where I am. So I'm going to mix my pronouns here. Sometimes I'm going to be with the younger group and sometimes I'm going to be with the older group. And you, you have my permission to change your pronoun as well. But those of us who are, I'm with you old people now, those of us who are a little older, We've raised children. We've struggled financially. We've experienced tragedy. We've dealt with aging parents. Things that you are or are going to go through. And we can help. We've also dealt with disappointment within the church. Heartache over those who've left the faith. Perhaps division and turmoil within the church family. All are a part of our life experience. And we ought to be able to, to share and to help others Younger who are going through those things. But we have to be willing to open up as older folks. We have to be willing to, to open up and share with them. I think too many times we, we don't want, we, we want to be the, the, the perfect role model. You know what I mean? The role model of, of, of how everything is just fine and dandy. When what our, when what our younger generations really need is to, is to see the fact that we've struggled too. We've been through hard times. We've had difficult situations. And this is how you can, we can help you get through those situations. Even though it may not be exact. Young people, younger generations are, are full of energies and, and energy and ideas and, and questions. And we may, as an older generation, we may not like the questions. But as a younger generation, we remember what it was to ask questions. And it's okay to have questions. It's okay to have new ideas. It's okay to have lots of energy. Now, it may tire us out, us older people. It may tire us out. But where would we be as a church family if we didn't have young energy? If we didn't have young ideas, fresh ideas? And so that's very important to us as a church family. Now, there is always going to be a little tension, I think, between the old and the new. It's just going to be that way to some extent. But when approached appropriately, it can be a healthy and powerful dynamic within the body of Christ. We need to understand that whatever generation we are in, we need each other. We need to appreciate what each age group offers and contributes to the church family. I think that's one of the... The biggest benefits of the revamping and and what we've been doing with our family life groups is the opportunity for older and younger generations to to get to know each other better. And I've heard that from from some older people say, well, I didn't even know who that young person was. And then, you know, they speak up in the life group and, and, you know, that's and and I've heard a younger person say, well, you know, so-and-so, he's so funny. I'd have never known that he was so funny or whatever. But the opportunity to to share and to cross over 
those generational lines and realize on a more intimate level that these older people have experienced some of the things that I'm going through or I will go through or that these young people, you know, they do have some fresh ideas. They do have some an interesting take on something. We need each other and we need to appreciate one another. The second point I wanted to make is are the principles of teaching and learning. And I don't know, can y'all, can y'all see the picture up here? You, you see what the picture is? You got the old dude over here reading the newspaper and the teenager over here on his iPad. You know, so anyway, I didn't know if you could see it real well, but that, that kind of, that's the way I am, right kids? That's the way I am in Bible class. You know, I say get out your Bible and Jansen gets out his phone. You know, I'm just, that's fine, but I'm just old school. I like paper and ink, you know, but I'm old. That's a generational difference. You know, I have to overcome that. You know, now when one of them starts watching the football game in the middle of class, that's a whole different story. But, you know, nobody does that, I'm sure. Uh, but anyway, where was I? Oh, principles of teaching and learning. That's where I was. Peter and Paul both expressed the importance of the older generation. Teaching the younger generation. But we must pass on more than just knowledge. We must pass on responsibility to the younger generation. Moses, we hear this word a lot. Moses mentored Joshua. So that when Moses was no longer there, Joshua was ready. To take that mantle. We were studying this in, in, in the youth class last Wednesday or a couple Wednesday ago. The situation between Elijah and Elisha. And I asked the kids, this is another generational difference. I asked a whole group of teenagers, have y'all ever heard the term passing the mantle? Not a single one of them. Isn't that weird? I thought it was weird. I thought it was odd. I had this whole explanation of where that came from and they didn't even know what it was. But I told them the explanation anyway because that was part of my lesson plan. And I said it comes from this very Bible story where Elijah, when he first chooses Elisha, he puts his mantle over him to signify that this is going to be my successor. And then I'm not sure how long Elisha followed Elijah and Elijah mentored Elisha. But finally, it came time for Elijah to leave. And you remember, he was carried up into the whirlwind and, and uh, the chariot, you know, went up and his mantle fell to the ground. And Elisha picked it up. But Elijah had mentored Elisha to prepare him for that time. We also see Paul doing the same thing in the New Testament with Timothy and Titus. Taking those two, and Silas as well, taking those young men along and preparing them for future experiences. Mentoring means showing, not just telling. I, don't give me instructions to read. Because first of all, I'm probably not going to read them until I've messed it up and I have to read them. But if you show me how to do something, I am pretty good then at mimicking that. 
I am pretty good at then being able to do that. Years ago, years ago in one of the classrooms or somewhere, I don't remember where it was, one of the lights, the, the fluorescent lights, you know, the, the four foot, you know, fluorescent light, one of them quit working. And M.L. Martin, I wish he was here today, but M.L. Martin came up here and he determined that the problem was the ballast was out on that fluorescent light. Never even heard of a ballast. Didn't know what a ballast was, didn't know what it looked like or nothing. But I followed him around like a little puppy. And I watched him as he, you know, took the cover off and as he cut the wires and first turned the breaker off, uh, cut the wires, took the ballast off, went and got another one and got it back, you know, got the, spliced the wires together and, and did all that, put it, and voila, the light worked. I'm not sure about this, but I'm close. I'm close. That may be the last ballast ML ever changed in this church. Because I think I've changed all of them since then. <laughs> now you're, I see y'all looking at the fire escapes. I know what y'all were doing. Uh-huh. I see what some of you were doing. Because he showed me one time how to do it. And I can do that. Oh, by the way, unless it's the big, long 10-foot ones in the, because those are a little different and you can't just leave the extra wire hanging, I found out, you know, uh, the hard way. Uh, so anyway, uh, the same way older people with our younger generation, don't just tell them, show them, demonstrate to them. Allow them to learn. We also, and we also need to realize that the younger folks, the olders have much to offer their, their experience. The older, the younger generation needs to be willing to learn. And younger folks, the older ones have so much to offer. Realize that just because, younger folks, just because something has always been done a certain way, that doesn't mean that it's wrong. That doesn't mean that it's not the best way to do it. Just because something has always been done that way doesn't mean that it's wrong. It doesn't mean that it needs to be changed just to change it. Now, we'll get to us old folks in a minute. So hold that thought. We need to be willing. Young people need to be willing and even show initiative in asking to learn things. We have so many things and so many responsibilities here at the church that are done by our older generation. If we don't teach the younger generation, what happens when you are gone? What happens when you are gone? Are there people in place? Have we taught and trained and mentored people to take on those responsibilities? For the older generation, we have to be willing to teach, not just do. Even though it's a lot easier to just do, isn't it? I've mentioned this before. I always think about when my children were learning to tie their shoes. Is that not the most frustrating thing as a parent? When your children are learning to tie their shoes? Because it's like, we got to go. And it's just so much easier to say, oh, forget it. Get in the car. But they're never going to learn to tie their shoes. They've got that Velcro the rest of their lives. Or slip-ons, you know, Crocs. 
We have to be willing to, to take the time, willing to, to show them, not just do it for them. Every year in January, Janice and I go through this ritual. Because every year we have to compile a brand new attendance program for the computer. And it is really, to be honest with you, a pain. It is a long, drawn-out process to do. And every year Janice says to me, if you would just show me how to do it, I'd do it. And I tell her, it's just easier to do it myself. (laughs) than to show you how to do it. And for something like that, eh, maybe. Although, if I'm gone, you're in trouble. <laughs> you're you're going to have to get Melba's little book with the check marks in it. Uh, but Melba knows what I'm talking about. Rescue don't. Uh, but we need to, to, to show and allow them to learn. Willingness for for us as older people to allow for the fact that there may be other ways of doing things. Listen to this. It's going to sound like the same statement, but it's not. Older people, just because something has always been done a certain way, doesn't mean it's the only way. And it doesn't even mean that it is perhaps the best way. You know, we think, and I'm putting me with this group now, we think because we're older, that we've tried it every way. We've worked out all the kinks. And so when we finally get to this process, that it has to be the best way forever. That's just not true. And what may have been the best way for our generation may not be the best way for a younger generation. And we have to be willing To accept that and understand that. Maybe even from time to time, allow for failure in order to grow. Understanding that times do change and there may be more effective ways of doing things. And that different, different is not wrong. Different is not wrong. You know, I don't want to touch a nerve here, but... When we started putting songs on the screen, I know that there are some of you in here, you may not admit it now, but there are some of you in here who did not like that. Didn't like that. I even had a person come to me and say, where is the scriptural basis for doing that? And I said, it's right under the verse that talks about songbooks. They're right next to each other. Now, some of you may still prefer to use a songbook. Maybe you can read a songbook better. Maybe, you know, whatever the case may be. But I know for a lot of us, you know, not to have to carry that heavy songbook is nice. To have it up here in big, you know, is nice. To have most everybody kind of facing the front, not looking down, but looking up, helps the singing, makes it nice. Now, is there anything wrong with using a songbook? No. 
My guess is, you want to know the truth? I know us well enough to know this is what happened. The first time somebody said, I've made us a songbook. (gasps) No, 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 no. No songbooks. We can only sing from memory. Because that's the way we've always done it. See, there's different ways of doing things. And we have to be willing to understand that. Younger folks, and we're not talking about doctrinal truths. I'm not talking about doctrine. I'm just talking about ways of doing things and methods. Younger people, I'm going to tell you something, and you're not going to believe me, but maybe in 50 years you'll remember I said this. You can say all you want to that I'm not going to be like that when I grow old. It's not going to happen to me. I'm going to be so open-minded when I'm their age. No, you won't. (laughs) I was kind of a, you know, open-minded. I won't go so far as rebellious, but questioning, you know, teenager. You know, I'm never going to be like those old people who won't change and think, wow. I grew up, and many of you did too, in a time in which a lot of people believed that the King James Version of the Bible was the only translation you could use. When the Revised Standard came out, American Standard, New American Standard, NIV, when all these came out, oh, no, 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 no. Has to be the King James. Has to be the King James. Some of you may even still feel that way. And I used to think to myself, how can they be so hard-nosed? How can they, you know, well, what are they? they're not open-minded, they don't think. For 30 years... I have been using the NIV. It is sacred. It is the only authorized version we can use now. Some of you kids come along or some of you other people and you come along with that ESV or whatever it's called. What kind of a, what kind of a Bible is that? It's the NIV or nothing. And I hear myself sometimes, I'm thinking, whoa, was that my grandfather? Not my father, my grandfather that just said that. We become like that as we get older because we like comfort the older we get. And there's nothing wrong with that as long as we make room. Well, this has happened twice recently, but is, it, is, it, is that the real time? Is it, is it like 1130? All right. Well, we're not going to get to the last point. We'll, we may get it. But what I would like to do real quickly is, if you are 65 or older, would you stand up? I see some people punching some folks. I don't know what that... <laughs> All right, go ahead and have a seat. If you're 40 to 64... Stand up. All right, y'all have a seat. Now, this is where some people are going to say, I don't want to be with that group. But if you're 19 to 39, stand up. All right, y'all have a seat. 18 and under, stand up. All of you kiddos, 18 and under. Stand up. 
Somebody hold the babies up. There we go. That's what I'm talking about. All right, y'all have a seat. Praise God. Isn't that right? Praise God that we have a church family that has such a diverse, multi-generational membership. That should not be something that divides us. It should be something that strengthens us and brings us together and better equips us to do the Lord's work. If you're here this morning and there's some way we can help or encourage you, we invite you to come now as we stand and as we sing. We hope by listening to this lesson, you have found a better understanding of the Bible. And through that better understanding, find a closer relationship with God and His Son, Jesus Christ, our living Savior. If you have any questions or desire more information, please feel free to contact us here at the Dangerfield, Texas Church of Christ. You can find us at dfield.org. That's D-F-I-E-L-D-C-O-C dot O-R-G. Or you can email at dfieldcoc779 at aol.com. Or you can call us at 903-645-2896. If you are local to the Dangerfield area, we would love an opportunity to meet you and encourage you in person at 818 West W.M. Watson Boulevard, Dangerfield, Texas, 75638. Our meeting times are Sunday mornings at 9.30 a.m. for Bible class and 10.30 a.m. for worship service, Sunday evening at 6 p.m. for worship service, and Wednesday evening at 6.30 p.m. for our midweek Bible class. Grace and peace be with you always.